Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue to investigate Jesus and Paul's favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself the question, what is the Christian Gospel? What did Jesus challenge his audience to believe as the Gospel or Good News? What did Jesus mean by the phrase so often found on his lips, the kingdom of God? When did you last hear a preacher or evangelist invite us to repent and believe in the gospel about the kingdom of God, as Jesus did with his audiences, as for example in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15? Our purpose in these broadcasts is to bring us back to the most fundamental things of our Bible. You see, there's a beginning to Jesus' ministry. There's a beginning to the Christian faith. It makes logical sense that you begin at the beginning of a story. You don't begin in the middle. And so we've been stressing these fundamental verses at the beginning of Mark and Matthew and Luke, which tell us what Jesus was concerned with. It's surprising to me that many Christians seem to be so enchanted with the writings of Paul, and of course Paul was a main spokesman for Jesus himself, but they forget that Jesus precedes Paul. It is Jesus who preached the gospel long before the conversion of Paul. Jesus preached that gospel, as we find clearly outlined for us in the summary statement given us in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Jesus there came into Galilee and began to challenge his audiences to do a U-turn in their thinking and in their lifestyle and orientate themselves, or rather reorientate themselves, to a new horizon. Jesus said that the kingdom of God was at hand. By that he meant that the kingdom of God was on the horizon. It was approaching. It was near. But it was not here. One of the greatest confusions that has existed amongst Bible readers for a long time is that Jesus actually said that the kingdom of God had come. Now, if the kingdom of God had in fact come, we would be thrown into utmost confusion in regard to the most basic of Jesus' statements in the famous Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, you remember, he says we're to pray, Thy kingdom come. That's to say, May God's kingdom arrive. Now, clearly, you don't pray for something to arrive if it has already arrived. That simply makes no sense at all. So when Jesus announced that the kingdom of God was at hand, he was doing, in fact, what the prophets of the Old Testament had done before him. As far back as the 8th century B.C., the prophets of Israel had said that the day of the Lord was at hand using just the same language as Jesus did there in Mark 1, 14 and 15. The kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus said, and the prophets before him had said, the day of the Lord is at hand. And by the expression day of the Lord, of course, the prophets meant that day when God is going to reckon with each of us as human beings. He's going to summon all of us before him, either through the first resurrection or what the Bible describes as the second resurrection, and we'll talk more about that in future programs. And at that judgment, 
God is going to ask each one of us to account for what we have done during the span of our lifetime here on the earth. And so the day of the Lord, or the kingdom of God, was a well-known phrase in the years of Jesus' audience there in Galilee some 2,000 years ago. The kingdom of God was not the nebulous phrase it often is in the mind of churchgoers today. One of the greatest keys to Bible study is to grasp the notion of the kingdom of God. That's why we're concentrating on this key phrase of Jesus. It is absolutely impossible to understand the Christian faith and to make a satisfactory relationship with God through His Son, Jesus the Messiah, if we are vague about Jesus' key teaching term, namely the kingdom of God. So we've been suggesting that the kingdom of God must be first defined in its Jewish context. That's to say we must pay careful attention to what the kingdom of God meant in the minds of those who were reared and raised on the Hebrew Bible, what we rather unfortunately call the Old Testament. And if one was a student of the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible, one would know, for instance, from Daniel chapter 2, that there were four kingdoms outlined there, four beast kingdoms which would uh, succeed one another, and following them there would appear on the earth a fifth wonderful kingdom, and it was called the kingdom of God. We read in Daniel 2.44 that the God of heaven is one day going to set up a kingdom, as to say the kingdom of heaven, but it's to be a kingdom which replaces the four previous beast kingdoms. Now, those beast kingdoms are obviously world empires, and it follows logically and consistently that the kingdom of God is also going to be a world empire, a concrete external kingdom, not just a kingdom as an idea in the hearts of man. It is most important to get hold of the Hebrew Old Testament idea of the kingdom of God. Jesus did not sit down to explain the meaning of the kingdom as a basic term when he announced his gospel of the kingdom. He assumed that his audience knew what he was talking about. When he said, Thy kingdom come, there was a definite idea in his mind and a definite idea in the minds of his disciples. Now the preparation time for that kingdom, the time in which we are now living and have been living since the ministry of Jesus in Galilee, required further explanation. You see, the readers of the Old Testament knew that one day God was going to intervene by a cataclysm and destroy world empires as they presently exist in the hands of human rulers and would replace those human kingdoms, those world empires of our present age, by the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God was going to be administered by one whose title was the Messiah, or the chosen king, God's anointed. Now Jesus, of course, and the whole New Testament claims that Jesus of Nazareth is that chosen king. But the fact is that when he came the first time, he set up no kingdom in Jerusalem. Now it's a colossal mistake to imagine that he will never set up the kingdom of God in Jerusalem. If Jesus never sets up the kingdom of God in Jerusalem, with Jerusalem as the headquarters of a new world government, then all the promises of the Hebrew prophets, all the promises of the Bible itself will have failed. 
The exciting thing about Bible reading is that it is a forward-looking book. We're living in a state of tension as we await the great denouement of the biblical story, and that is to be the establishment of the kingdom of God on the earth, just as all the prophets of Israel predicted. And that kingdom will be established on this planet. The planet, of course, will be greatly renewed. Things will not be just as they are now. There will be a great renovation of the earth. But the kingdom of God belongs to this planet. God has been dealing with this planet now since the creation of Adam and onwards. And he's allowing mankind to make a considerable mess of organizing our planet in a satisfactory manner. God, in fact, is going to put an end to our feeble human attempts to organize government on this planet. And he's going to do this by sending his son, the Messiah, back to this earth. Yes, Jesus is coming back to this earth. That is the contention of the whole of our Bible records. There's no doubt that the supreme promise of God is that the Messiah, the Son of God, who is now retained at the right hand of the Father in heaven, is going to come back to this planet to rule this planet. And Jesus' gospel, in fact, was an invitation to any of us who will choose to follow Jesus now in preparation for that great day so that we may become co-rulers, co-regents with Jesus the Messiah in that coming kingdom of God on the earth. You see, the destiny of man and the destiny of Christians was never to go to heaven as a disembodied soul. That's a fiction which arose in post-biblical times, but which has had many people in its grip for too long. Read the Bible carefully, and you'll find that nowhere is there any promise of heaven when you die. No, Jesus promised the kingdom of God on the earth to his followers. And in promising the kingdom of God to his followers, he guaranteed that they would take part in a renewed government on this earth according to the prophecies in Daniel chapter 2. And again in Daniel chapter 7, I alert you to the 27th verse particularly of Daniel 7. It says that the whole kingdom under the heavens will be given to the saints of the Most High, and all nations and tongues and languages will serve and obey them. Now the Son of Man in that 7th chapter of Daniel is a corporate figure. That's to say, it consists of a number of people in community, and they are summed up in their head, who is in fact the Son of Man, Jesus himself. So the Son of Man involves not only Jesus as the head of that community, but all the members of the Christian community, in fact, all those who have been faithful from all the ages of history onwards, including the Christians of the New Testament, there's no division between Abraham and Isaac and all the famous ones of the Old Testament and the Christian church. They all belong to the same group and they are all going to rule on the earth with Jesus in the kingdom of God when he returns to set it up here on this planet. Now, of course, we don't know the date or the day of that second coming. We can only watch events and judge as far as we're able from the signs that Jesus gave when that time is near. None of us can possibly say with any certainty exactly when that time is, but this lifetime for all of us Christians is a training period to see if we are faithful, whether we are worthy to enter that kingdom of God 
when it comes at Jesus' second coming. Remember in Luke chapter 20 and verse 35, Jesus spoke of those who are to be worthy of the resurrection and of inheriting that age, that's to say that future age which will be the kingdom of God on the earth. That's the simple challenge of the Bible from cover to cover. That's why we believe in Jesus in order that through trial and testing in this life we may finally come to the goal and that is to be immortalized as a co-regent, an active participant in the new government of the kingdom of God which will be established on the earth. Now, none of this material is in any way difficult once we realize that the original faith of Jesus, the Jewish faith of Jesus, if you like, is based upon the revelation granted to us by God in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. The problem is that in the second century and onwards, the faith underwent a radical change as it moved out from its Jewish environment into the Gentile Greek world, and strange doctrines began to emerge about souls going to heaven, which had absolutely nothing to do with the original faith of Jesus. Many are confused today because they're unable to distinguish between what is of tradition from that Greek world of the second century onwards and what is of the original faith of the Bible. It's important for students of Christianity, disciples of Christ, to learn the difference between the original faith and what developed as a corruption of that faith as early as the second century onward. Write to us or call us for some information about this fascinating development that occurred after the death of the apostles. Meanwhile, join us again as we continue to probe Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.